Coming up on today's show, we live in a lost and dying world, but what is the role of guilt manipulation in motivating people into missions? We are a part of God's redemptive historical plan to redeem people groups that are unreached currently to himself. How many have zero access to the gospel? That drives an appropriate sense of guilt. Where it breaks down is when I make the turn and I say, you, it depends on you. You need to go because they will die and go to hell unless you go. And you've switched from an appropriate sense of of weight and guiltiness. But I do not believe that God's plans are dependent on me. It's that turn and it's a subtle turn. We'll explore that topic. But first, a message from ABWE President Paul Davis. ABWE missionaries are coming beside the lost and the hurting around the world. And through the Global Gospel Fund, they're pulling people from the darkness and training them as leaders. They're planting churches, and they're even beginning their own missions movements. You may already support one ABWE missionary. Would you consider a gift to the Global Gospel Fund to support all 1,000 of our missionaries? Thank you for that. Become a partner today at abwe.org slash global gospel fund. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Coquin, Director of Advancement and Communications with ABWE. Joined as always by Scott Dunford, West Coast Advancement Coordinator and Lead Church Planter for Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. Scott, we've come to that time of the year again. I don't know what we're doing these, maybe quarterly, what exactly our rhythm is, but I like it. It's a regular thing that we've worked into the routine. We're joined by a third guest or host or kind of both uh, today, Paul Davis, uh, president of ABWE. And so grateful for the chance to sit down with Paul in studio. Before we dive into today's topic, though, we also want to remind you that if you've been blessed by the content of this show, go ahead and also rate us and leave a positive review in your favorite podcast app of choice that helps our benevolent overlords with the tech companies to boost our ratings in the algorithm. We're told that it appeases them. We're not entirely sure, but we are grateful for anything that you can do to help get this content in front of people that uh, can be mobilized and be encouraged to invest their lives in the Great Commission. So I'm excited to dive in today, Scott, and um, excited to talk about a topic that, for me, as somebody who was exposed to missions really for the first time meaningfully as a college student within a major evangelical college kind of setting, uh, this one kind of hits home. And it's this topic that we started out with at the beginning. Um, Should we be using guilt as a motivator in missions. Talked around that a couple times on the show, Scott, but I, for me personally, I mean, I remember reading books that are very heavy on the emphasis on, on guilt and you should make your, your life count and you should, you know, throw everything away with reckless abandon. And that was really one of my first tastes of this whole world of missions that we now live and swim in. Uh, was it like that for you, Scott, when you were first exposed to missions, that world? Oh, man, like <laughs> it's, it's the kind of thing that you would like be freaked out before a missions conference or revival meetings because you just knew that the heavy hand was coming. And uh, I mean, 
you know, probably one of the most striking examples I kind of grew up with was this whole phrase, I'm going, but I'm willing to stay. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that phrase before, but basically, you know, it was like, if you're not, if you're not planning on going, you're in deep disobedience to the Lord. So everyone, and, I, and I've heard that as your yes on the table. And I, I, I like that concept, but the whole, like, if you're not going or planning on going, then possibly probably you're in, in disobedience, you know, or even growing up, you know, like, it's helpful to hear the songs like untold millions. I don't know if you guys heard that song as a kid, you know, untold millions are still untold, you know, and uh, who will tell them of Jesus love. And I, I think that's a good thought urgency. I think we'll talk about that in a second. I think there is a sense of urgency in the scripture, but um, yeah, I definitely to answer your question in a very long form. Yes. I felt that growing up. <laughs> well, I assume you have as well, Paul, cause you feel pretty strongly and passionately about this. Yeah. There's very few missions conferences that I was a part of uh, growing up or in college or even as an adult where there wasn't, you know, an old style altar call. Right. And um, 15 verses of a song and come lay your life on the altar and uh, give your life to missions or or something like that. So, yeah, I felt uh, the strong appeals of guilt. And man, if you stayed in your seat, uh, you were one of the ungodly people that uh, wasn't responding to the Holy Spirit's call. Hmm. Well, we, we can all talk about, you know, we, we could joke, we have stories, right, about right. ways that we've experienced all those sort of guilt trips. But let's start by playing devil's advocate. There is an urgency to spiritual lostness, to paganism in the world, to all those sorts of things that, you know, we we live in a world that is held by the evil one in many ways, right? And so there is a certain urgency that should, you know, that that flavor should certainly pepper our preaching, our thinking about missions, our understanding of the scriptures, right? So uh, you're not denying that, are you? Well, and I would go so far to say that I think there's an appropriate place for guilt okay. in, in this. So um, what I'm speaking of that may be inappropriate is this emotionally charged creation of a false guilt. Mm. Like somehow the fate of the world rests on my shoulders. Yours. Mine alone, personally. right? Yeah. And and my decision to go into missions will determine whether or not the nations are healed and the nations are one to Christ. That's an inappropriate guilt placed on a, on a person. And um, what I'm not opposed to and what I actually think is good would be an appropriate sense of guilt yeah. or an appropriate call to missions. Mm. So, you know, to kind of dive deeper into that, Paul, what are your, what are your, some of your concerns with emotional appeals? I mean, uh, you know, beyond, you know, just you, you were saying it's, it may be inappropriate, but what, what are the deeper concerns there? Um, Cause we did say some guilt is probably right. You know, like if I'm not sharing the gospel with people and I don't care about people going to hell. I, I something's wrong with me. Um, so what are some of your concerns about that? Well, I think, and Scott, you would probably know this more than most because you've spoken many churches on missions and, and, um, part of my role is the opportunity to share about missions within churches. And, um, and I think I, I kind of, want to default to an emotionally charged appeal. Um, because I think an emotionally charged appeal 
works for short-term situations, mm-hmm. like uh, to motivate someone to to sign up for a prayer sheet or to motivate someone to give it to an offering. Um, I think some emotionally charged appeals, they're effective on that. What my main concern is, Scott, is that um, I don't know that a short-term emotional appeal bears the fruit of long-term um, missional allegiance with God's call to, to the nations. Um, so if, if you're emotionally responsive, mm-hmm. right? Like if it's emotions that drove you, um, what happens when it gets difficult on the missions field, mm. right? There's a subtext to all of this, which I've been listening through a, a couple of lecture series lately on the history of evangelicalism in America. And part of the history here is understanding the role of somebody like Charles Finney, right? Who there's probably a portion, a portion of our listenership hearing that who's like, yeah, Finney. And then there's another, you know, portion of our listenership that's thinking, Charles Finney again, <laughs> he strikes again, <laughs> or the, the dark overlord, Charles Finney. And there's a lot of history there that's worth reading and, and understanding. Um, but aside from all of his heretical doctrinal positions that he took, denying justification by faith, look it up. Um, there's there's plenty of things going on there, but among them is that's where we go back into the bloodstream of American religion and see the role of ma- uh, emotional manipulation. The anxious bench. The anxious bench. That 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 became revivalism, right. something that certain parts and pockets of the country um, now take for granted, but. but it's also the reason that so much of the, the U.S. Northeast is extremely secular right now as well. Mm-hmm. The long-term fruits of that were secularism. People became so tired of it. Um, you have burned over districts, right, is, is mm-hmm. the, the term that's used you know, to refer to that. And so uh, I think the same thing has filtered into the way that we sort of mine for missionaries. And even this question of, you know, how do we motivate for missions? You know, we're already asking as ministry leaders, maybe the wrong question, which is how do we achieve an outcome? Which is rather, rather than asking the question, how do we handle the scriptures and allow the spirit of God to work through those scriptures in a way where every member of the body of Christ is being called to invest in the way that each person needs to, including overseas missions. What do you think? Just just for playing devil's advocate, advocate for a second, because, you know, there is incredible lostness around the world. And I do think that as Americans, we uh, very quickly just forget. And, and, and I realize even just, just moving from like the Midwest to Pennsylvania and then Pennsylvania to California, regardless of living overseas, right? I, I, I just realized we, even in America, we, we are experiencing very different Americas and, uh, and very different perspectives on what's happening in this own, in the country, right? Um, much less the world. Uh, people here will ask, you know, would ask uh, my daughter when she's home from college and she's working at Costco, you mean like there's a city in America where most people are white, you know? And uh, she's like, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, and um, they just can't imagine that most of the country isn't Asian. Like, because uh, that's the way it is here in such a huge way that it, you just kind of assume that, you know, the there's a very small white minority in America and a very large Asian majority. And then then you visit rural Wisconsin and your your mind's blown. And I think that's true for mission statistics. When people start to talk about, you know, 
5,000 plus people groups that are unengaged with the gospel or, you know, unreached people groups. And, uh, and you start telling these stories of these people who are living in abject poverty and don't hear the gospel. When I hear stories about what's going on in Southeast Asia, and I start reading about some of these countries and the incredible, uh, you know, lostness there and physical deprivation. I mean, it does stir me emotionally. And so, you know, doesn't there seem to be an, an aspect in which, it's inevitable when we start telling the story, it's going to have a, a huge emotional impact. It, is that also how God wired us to be? Yeah, I would agree with that. And everything that you said, Scott, um, as I make appeals and as I preach to churches, I use all of the same things that you just shared there. But again, I think that's appropriate communication, communicating the fact that there is mm-hmm. lostness, communicating that the fact that um, God has called us to go into that lostness, communicating the fact that um, uh, that we are a part of God's redemptive historical plan mm. to redeem people groups that are unreached currently to himself. Mm-hmm. And I think those are all critical pieces of information. How many are unreached? How many are lost? How many have zero access to the gospel? That's good information that I think drives again, an appropriate sense of guilt where Mm -hmm. it breaks down is when I make the turn and I, I say you, Scott Dunford, Mm. you know, it depends on you. You need to, you need to come down the, to the altar and you need to go because they will die and go to hell unless you go. And you've switched from, again, what I would call appropriate, um, levels of of the purpose of preaching, right? The purpose of preaching is so that they would hear and understand um, to an appropriate sense of of weight and guiltiness, which, which, you know what, God is going to redeem a people for himself. We know the outcome of that. Mm-hmm. And whether I'm involved is a matter of obedience for sure. But I do not believe, and I don't think the scriptures teach that uh, God's purposes and plans are dependent mm. on me as, mm-hmm. a, a, as a person. And so it's that turn it, and it's a subtle turn. Um, and, and let me be the first to admit, I, I've been known to do it. I've been known <laughs> to take the turn because I'll, I'll get caught up in, in a desire to motivate people to, um, you know, I'll see the ambivalence in people's eyes, Right. I've Uh spoken in churches where there has been a cold ambivalence Mm. towards the lostness of the world. And, and my righteous prophetic side, the ire gets up and, um, and I'll move from preaching and teaching the word of God to you lazy, good for nothing, you know, and no, I don't do, I don't say that, but, (laughs) um, but kind of in my heart, I go there and, Mm. And, and, and I want them to do it instead of Mm -hmm. waiting, like what you said, Alex, um, is it my job to motivate God's people to go into all the world? Or is it my job to be faithful with the call that God has given me? And it's the Holy Spirit's job Mm. to do the work of calling and drawing people to the task of missions. Uh. That's a great point. There's a lot that we want to get into because I think that we can all 
point out what are the negatives of relying upon guilt manipulation. And we live in an age of guilt manipulators. Yes. It, it, across uh, the, the cultural, entertainment, political sectors, all those sectors. But how do we do this the way God intended? Uh, so let's dive into that in just a moment. We'll take a quick break. We're here with Paul Davis, ABWE president. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, I'm Scott Dunford, and I'd like to share with you about a new nonprofit ministry established to help churches, Christian schools, and other ministries protect children and prevent abuse. Rich Hamar from Church Law and Tax states that the number one reason that drives churches to court is child sexual abuse. I can't think of anything more devastating to these lives, their families, and our witness before a watching world than sexual abuse that takes place in ministry. The traumatic impact often leaves the vulnerable not wanting anything to do with God or his people. Our efforts toward evangelism, discipleship, and spiritual formation are not only neutralized, but shattered. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention was formed to help ministry leaders understand the complexities of child protection and abuse prevention. They are establishing standards and an accreditation program that will help verify that appropriate measures are in place at your church or ministry. Learn more about them. Find a helpful and free assessment tool to help you see how you measure up in this area. Go to abuseprevention.org and click on the link for this resource assessment. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention. And this June, attend the national conference. Go to abuseprevention.org and register with ABWE21 as the promo code to receive 20% off your ticket. That's promo code ABWE21 to receive 20% off. Brooks Buser, president of Radius International. I am here with Mark Dever, senior pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist and president of Nine Marks. When you go to a culture that's a different language than yours, you're ending up in a kind of majority language that's been reached. And there are other peoples still more hidden, and it's those people who are often almost entirely unreached, and they take more cross-cultural effort. Is there a way we can better train people to have more realistic expectations of what life is like in the kind of two steps away from my culture? and be able to sustain family life with its normal difficulties there so that there can be a long years and even decades long witness in that culture. And it seems like Radius is set up to provide that training. Radius is about reaching unreached people groups. Go to radiusinternational.org, radiusinternational.org. back with Paul Davis talking about the role of guilt and uh, heavy handed preaching, shall we say? Is that fair? Yes. Uh, in, in motivating people towards missions. And um, before the break, we were talking about just handling the scriptures and exegeting them. And here, here's another thing. So there's the expression, obviously, that you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Hmm. And we're, we're thinking about, you know, the type of obedience that you get from pressing the guilt of God's people and rubbing that in their noses um, is, is short-lived action. It's not a joyful overflow. You know, the commandments of God are not burdensome, right? First John 5. Um, it's, it's not this sort of joyful overflow of obedience. I think the reason sometimes the church leaders feel the pressure to rely on things like guilt um, in motiv motivating people towards giving to a project or go out and share the gospel or invite people to our next service, whatever that is. And mission presidents, by the way. Mission presidents, <laughs> missions podcast hosts, all those sorts of things. Um, but for a pastor specifically is because if you're not 
handling the text of scripture as it is and presenting it as it is and drawing out what the author intended to be drawn out. Um, you are going to find yourself having to enforce an agenda instead of letting scripture set that agenda. So look at the Apostle Paul. The book of Romans is mostly gospel exposition until you realize the entire thing is sandwiched inside of missionary appeals. Um, there's a missionary you know, ministry prayer letter update in chapter one, and then you finally get towards chapter 15, 16, and you realize that this is all in the interest of Paul furthering his cross-cultural mission. So I think that if we're preaching the scriptures exegetically week in, week out, if there's a steady diet of that, um, then I think a faithful pastoral exegete is, is going to find a mission's emphasis in that. Um, it's when we get away from the text of scripture that we have to make it happen on our own. Was that your experience year in, year out, Paul, when you were pastoring? Well, I think when, when a pastor has a regular uh, opportunity to bring the word of God yeah. to bear in the life, in, in the lives of the people, when he has uh, a true God-given shepherd mindset, where he really feels like he's shepherding the souls of the people that God has entrusted to him. And he takes the word of God and carefully and pastorally and lovingly and patiently brings the word to bear. And yes, exegetically proclaims it to his people over time. Mm -hmm. I'm convinced that's a much better motivator for long-term missions because um, again, a, a short emotional appeal could get people to sign up. Uh, like I've got the, I've got a great sermon on how to get people signed up for a short-term mission strip. And because uh, it's, it's all emotional appeal and it's all, you know, you can do this for two weeks and, but long-term, like how do we develop and prepare people to do missions for eight years, you know, to do missions in, in, in the hard places like Scott, you know, you and your family were in a location that was very difficult and missions was something that, um, that man, had you just been emotionally charged and been like, you know, Hey, we're excited and just emotionally charged to go, you know, would you have been able to survive, um, you know, I, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. Would you just be able to f survive your missions experience? I mean, like just a couple months into it, <laughs> uh, we would, we felt like quitting and it wasn't, you know, it, it really wasn't because the, it was because the place was hard. We didn't really think of it that way. We tended to think of it as, um, you know, this isn't what we signed up for. Our team is, dysfunctional, you know, we're not getting to do what we thought we'd get to do. And it, it ends up when you look back, it's a bunch of those things come combined that cause you to think that way. But it right. really was, you know, the, the reason we didn't come home then was because uh, we, it, it, it was because it wasn't an emotional decision. And we had seen right. God confirming that over and over again. Yeah. And so, and, and I'm sure you didn't have that level of stick-to-itiveness overnight, right? Um, it's an understanding of your calling. It's mm -hmm. an understand of God's purposes and plans and, and mm -hmm. missions. It's an understanding of, of why God has you on this planet. It's, it's an understanding of your spiritual giftedness. And mm -hmm. 
All of those are understandings that we come to through regular preaching and teaching of the word of God. Yeah, steady diet. One one emotional appeal is not going to give you all of those tools, all of those theological, I'll call them theological handles. Yeah. You're not going to have all the theological handles that you need to do life on a mission field without good, solid discipleship and and teaching. I've... Uh, I I know missionaries. I've spoke my wife. We've we are aware of people who um, have served in hard places and come back in tears, saying, uh, "I'm afraid that if I don't go back, God won't love me." Mm-hmm. You know, and um, the 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 problem with guilt manipulation is that the short term obedience that you get from it is low quality obedience right but also the long-term ramifications of it are just as harmful anyway the long-term harm of it is that you you do live feeling as though this divine you know sword is hanging over you at all times right you're afraid to enjoy life now i realize there's a lot of um self-centeredness, materialism, those sorts of things in the American church. But I'm also convinced that those of us who grew up more pietistically um, are just as guilt-ridden too. And there's as big a problem with people that are afraid to enjoy, you know, any of the pleasure and the good gifts that God brings their way, which is a problem because it may be that God has called you to go and sacrifice your life and spend 30, 40 years with an unreached people group and learn multiple languages just to get to them. Or it may mean that God has called you to be a successful business person who finances you know, half a dozen missionaries of that ilk. Scott, what are your thoughts? And I'm curious because you're also in a position of pastoral ministry currently. You're preaching to a flock as well, and you have objectives with that flock that aren't just, hey, I want to motivate people for missions. I mean, you're dealing with all sorts of different discipleship situations as well. You're knowing the state of your whole flock. Some of them are ready for that. Others aren't. So you've got to balance all those things. And really just draw out what the word of God has to say in order to feed them week to week. Yeah. And, and honestly, a, a book that I have been giving and going through with young men in our church, and we're a small church, but we do, by God's grace, have young men that are preparing for ministry and and uh, want to go into full-time missions or go into pastoral work and and um, is, is going through Bonhoeffer's discipleship or cost of discipleship uh, kind of goes by both titles. And it, and it really deals like, what does it mean to follow Jesus and, uh, and, and, and helping them to see, because there is a lot of that out there of just like the hype up, you know, you're called, you're gifted, you should go do it. And, and in some cases there's major issues that people have to work through. Cause it, you know, as someone with some experience now, um, into my middle age looking, going like, these are the kind of things that disqualify you down the road if you don't deal with it today, you know, or young people that say, I, it's really hard for me to live for Jesus here. Cause this America is a tough place to live for Christ. If I go overseas, it'll solve my, you know, my struggles, you know, and, uh, and I'll be more faithful if I can just get overseas away from these temptations. And you're like, Oh man, no, no, no. You know, like that is the exact wrong thing. If you can't be faithful here with people who know you and know your tendencies in a church that cares about you and you're not going to be faithful overseas. And, uh, and so re- you know, the word, um, but also body life and like steady growth and discipleship and faithful service and exercising the spiritual gifts, you know, and, and I would say I've learned things now in my mid forties that I didn't know in my mid thirties about 
that my own tendencies, my own heart, the, the ways I deceive myself and quit too quick. Cause it, most of the time when people quit, it isn't because they like, I failed, you know, it isn't like a clear John Mark situation. Oftentimes it's like we quit because of a ton of really great spiritual reasons, you know? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and having that maturity that only comes through time and discipleship is so critical. So Paul, you are the president of a mission right now. Right. And when you go out and speak and represent in churches, groups of people that don't have a relationship with you, you don't have relationship with them. You haven't, you're not their shepherd, but you've been brought in to talk about the Great Commission or cross-cultural ministry, whatever that prompt is that you're given. How are you doing this not knowing where they're at, not knowing what they're bringing to the table, just opening up the word, knowing that you have one shot with them? Um what texts are you going to? How are you handling those texts without laying on the guilt too heavy, but also waking some of them up right. without browbeating the bride of Christ? Because the last thing we want to do is be down on Christ's bride. Right. But, uh, but, but also opening eyes. Well, one of the things that I'm committed to just, I had a commitment to this as a pastor and I, I still bring this to any time I step into the pulpit. Um, I'm going to exegete the scriptures. Mm. So it's a good e- idea. Even if I'm a hired gun, yeah. right? Even if I've been brought in, you know, Paul, we'd like you to come in and and preach a message on missions. Okay. I I get that question a lot. I'm going to exegete a passage of scripture. And I'm going to talk about what that passage of scripture, what God's word is saying about missions. Um, I like to go to passages that reveal God's heart. So God's heart for the lost, uh, like um, a Matthew 9 passage where Jesus looks out at the crowd and has compassion on them and he sees them and they are, they are harassed and helpless, mm. right? And he sees, he sees this crowd for where they're at spiritually. And, and it's in, in Matthew 9, he turns to his disciples and he says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. The, the harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers who are few. And that's a great passage to expound because I don't have to, I don't have to guilt people because Jesus didn't raise his hands and mm. heal all the lostness there. Okay. Um, so it didn't, in a sense, Jesus wasn't saying it depends all on me. Jesus actually included his disciples in that process, in that passage, that um, uh, he sees the lostness. He turns to his disciples and he says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. And so he's revealing in that passage his father's redemptive plan for somehow using the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, but also the laborers that would be the disciples of Jesus Christ being a part of that plan. So there's this beautiful redemptive plan that includes the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but also includes includes disciples going into all the world and proclaiming the gospel. And I'm convinced if if I teach that appropriately, I don't need to say it depends on you mm-hmm. and unless you go and and bring that that fa- false guilt. Uh, I think an appropriate teaching of that, again, over, over time, I can bring one piece of it. And that's how I view myself is yeah. I want to help that pastor. I want to help the, that leadership, the church leadership team communicate to the church that what I'm doing 
as a little bit of a hired gun, is no different than what they'll be doing every single week in faithfully proclaiming and teaching the Word of God. Now, I'm going to do it in, in a way that I think um, will be clear, right? That'll be clear and, and clearly uh, missions emphasized. Sure. Um, but try to stay away from uh, a, a level of guilt or, or forcing people into a decision. But you're also trying to mobilize the type of missionary who's going to go to the field and not just manipulate others with Correct. guilt. You're not trying to mobilize a congregation of people who are going to go preach a simplified, overly simplified sort of four-point message and pressure people to raise hands, pray sinners' prayers, and be counted on some role. You're raising up the type of missionaries who you want to have a long-term impact. And what is that long-term impact going to be? It's going to be learning language and culture so that they can ordinarily, you know, in a normal, mundane sort of way, week in, week out, day in, day out, open up the word of God to a people. Right. Because if, if you manipulate people into missions, those people you manipulate into missions will yeah. manipulate people into salvation. Yeah. Right. And that, that what you win them with is what you win them to. Right. So if, if we want people to be faithful with the scriptures and faithful with the gospel, right? Like, these missionaries, I, I want, I want ABWE to send missionaries who will be incredibly faithful witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, careful with the gospel, bold with the gospel, um, and and passionate. So I don't want to, I, I don't want to hear because I'm I'm bashing on on kind of using guilt that I'm not I'm not against passion, I'm not against boldness, I'm not against. Um, uh, faithful proclamation, uh, but I want our missionaries to be careful. Mm. Yeah. The other thing is when I look at the missionary passages of scripture, the urgency of lostness, the urgency of the unreached, the urgency of eternity is a theme. It's not the main theme though. It's, it's not um, the glory of God, obedience to Jesus Christ, uh, Christ's rule and reign manifesting itself in the world, uh, worship, the worship of those nations. Those are sort of the themes as well. So it's not just rescue. Right. And I would say, I would agree with that. Um, if you look at passages like Luke 15, though, when you've got the lost sheep stories and the parables of the lost coin, you know, and in Luke 19, where Jesus reveals his purpose for coming to this earth to seek mm. and to save those who were, were lost. Yeah. Um, while I would agree with you, there's not a sense of, of lostness throughout all the scripture, but there was this sense, you know, the woman lost her coin and she stopped what she was doing and she searched the house for that coin. And and when she found it, she rejoiced, right? Yeah. And when the shepherd loses the sheep, he said, and so again, there is an urgency of lostness and there, yeah. there is this lost sheep, there is a lost coin and, and Jesus did come to, to seek and save those lost. And I think, again, I think there's an appropriate way of teaching and preaching those passages that, that communicate urgency um, without going so far as creating a, a guilt-oriented um, false disciple. Well, and if I could hop in real quick too, and Scott, I'll give you a chance to cut in. Maybe you want to give me your take on this. So 
Scott, you give me your take on this. Um, I, uh, as I think about Luke 15 and some of the examples that you shared, you know, Jesus is not engaged in guilt manipulation there, but he is also at the same time trying to make the sleepy, self-righteous religious elite feel a little guilty because they are guilty, right? Mm -hmm. The purpose of the parable of the, um, of the prodigal son is that the older brother is the, the pharisaical ruling class, right? Indifferent to the lost, uh, the lost people of the Jewish nation. And then by extension, the lost Gentiles, all the, all the nations that are without God, all around Israel, right? right. All surrounding them, all of their neighbors, right? They, um, now what, there was this strain of Pharisaism that crossed land and sea to make a single proselyte, but they, uh, proselyte, but they became right. twice the son of hell that they were, you know, Jesus says. And so, Jesus is unfolding the heart of God, and he's he's not um, he, he, just the rhetorical approach that he takes there. You know, you're you're at the same time showing the love of God for sinners, and you're encouraging people to be a part of that mission of finding the lost, right. uh, but in a way that's subtle to where the Pharisees realize, oh, he's he's calling me out because I right. I don't care about those people in the same sort of way. Right, and once again, there Jesus is using appropriate guilt, the the guilt that the older son needed to feel was that he was unloving and uncaring and um he he was selfish and um again i think jesus was revealing things that that older son needed to appropriately feel guilty about what he didn't need to feel guilty about was the lostness or the foundness of the prodigal son rested solely on whether or not the older son went to the faraway country right. and and so Again, that's that's taking the appropriate guilt and, and inappropriate guilt and, and, and mixing them together. I appreciate the emphasis there. I mean, certainly the Bible does. I mean, there is an urgency that Christ talks about. There's an urgency that Paul feels and talks about extensively. It's not a question of whether or not there's urgency or whether or not lost lost people need to be reached while they still can be lost. I mean, the Bible does often talk about the forbearance of God and uh, the patience of the Lord in, in giving time for salvation, even in Second uh, Peter, you know, chap chapter three, uh, talks about the Lord's patience means salvation and, uh, and his, his, his tarrying is an opportunity. And I think it's important that we emphasize that, but while also understanding um, that there are the means that God gives us to do that and that manipulation is not <laughs> is an underhanded thing that we also are commanded to stay away from. To make this practical for everybody listening, every missionary listening to this, every pastor within the sound of our voices, anyone who happens to post on social media about something that's missions related or any insight from scripture, you have a choice whether you're going to lean on guilt to manipulate the people of God to do what we feel they ought to do, we ought to do. Uh, or to trust the Spirit of God. And I'm encouraged by what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7. Uh, and he had been really harsh with the church in Corinth and had wanted them to feel the weight of their sin. This was serious sin that they'd been engaged with. Uh, but he, he didn't want them to just feel grieved. He wanted them to feel grieved to the point where they would repent. And he says in verse 10, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And that's that distinction that you got at. It's right. worldly grief versus godly grief, which leads to repentance and without regret. So you're also not carrying the weight of that shame around everywhere with you. 
that's a, a perfect example, again, of appropriate and inappropriate guilt or appropriate and inappropriate grief that draws us to actions that I think reflect the heart of God or actions that uh, are selfishly motivated by the speaker or the motivator. And, and let me be clear, I think that we must urgently call people to missions. Yeah. Um, if, if you invite me into your pulpit, if a pastor invites me into their pulpit, I will urgently call people to missions and, and I will passionately um, reveal statistics on lostness and unengaged peoples and, and the fact that there are places where the chances of you even uh, being born and meeting a Christian are virtually zero. You will, you will grow up and never even meet a Christian let alone hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I will passionately declare those things. Um, but what I won't do is, is browbeat, mm-hmm. um, uh, the sense of, of, of using that as a, as a stick or a, or, or a club. Um, what I will do is I will call God's people to prayer, which is exactly what Jesus called his disciples to, to pray the Lord of the harvest, to send laborers into the field. I will call people to reflect on their level of obedience to all of the commands of Scripture. Uh, I will call people to reflect on uh, whether or not they're even a disciple of Jesus Christ, right? Um, Because if you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's that's a first step before even mission. So calling people to those things that Scripture calls them to, again— carefully exegeting the scriptures and letting them speak. And so I, I, what I don't want to do is I don't want anyone listening to this podcast to walk away and say, we don't believe in passionate proclamation of the word of God. Right. We do. Um, what we don't believe in is inappropriately guilting people into feeling like the fate of the world rests on their shoulders mm. when our sovereign, powerful, wonderful savior mm. did all of that work. It's a good note to end on. And just as Eve was given to Adam as a help, the bride of Christ is given to Christ as a help. He's the one subduing the earth. He's the one filling the earth with the glory of God. He's the one putting all of his enemies, all, all the nations under his feet. And the, the bride gets to help. It's a privilege, though. It's it's not something that we ought to be ashamed of. So, Paul, thank you for joining us today. And Scott, we love having these sorts of conversations. And we invite you into that conversation with us as well. So if you have any thoughts, please email those to alex at missionspodcast.com as well as any suggestions for the show. Leave us a positive rating and review in your podcast app of choice that helps us get this content in front of others. Thank you so much for listening this week to the Missions Podcast, and we'll see you next week.